Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 9, reads this way. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by Mary, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, that they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. And they went out and they preached everywhere. And they went out and they preached everywhere. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. My Bible has a heading, if you will. Another Bible that I have has this particular text in italics. And maybe your Bible has something similar to that. And here's what the headings or the notations typically say that these verses are probably additions to the Gospel of Mark. And let me tell you why that is. Because these things that we just read in, in, the, in the Greek language, uh, it's, it's totally different than the rest of the Gospel. There's also something different about 9 through 20, and that is that probably somebody had added it just to confirm everything else that were, had, were, were told by the other Gospels. For instance, let me give you an example. When the editor of Mark, or the person who puts all the, the Mark together, the Gospel of Mark, wants to include these things, he gives us examples from other Gospels, as I mentioned. The first being Mary Magdalene. If you'll remember in Luke chapter 8, Jesus has this interaction with a woman named Mary, and he cast out demons from her, and she was probably a prostitute. And he changed her life. The next example we're given in this particular text is, if you remember from the Gospel of Luke, there are two people walking on the road to Emmaus. Anybody remember this account? And Jesus begins to walk alongside them, and they're, they're discouraged. They, they have no hope. They're in despair because the one that they followed the one that they thought that was the Messiah could not have been the Messiah because he had gone to Jerusalem and they had heard the word had gotten around that they had crucified this person called Jesus that they had put so much investment into. Therefore, he couldn't be the Messiah. And Jesus interacts with them and finally when he breaks the bread, the Bible says their eyes were opened. And all of a sudden he's gone. And then they go back, as the Gospel of Mark tells us here in this text, they go back and they tell everyone else, surely he must be alive. But they weren't believed. And then he appears to the eleven. And you remember as he ministers to the eleven, and even Thomas, 
who has seen and who has heard him for three and a half years still has this these blinders on his eyes. He still has this callousness about his spirit. He still can't understand everything that's happened, especially since they got to Jerusalem, especially since the Jews, the Romans, have crucified the Lord, Savior, the one they held everything and followed for, they left their entire lives. just didn't make any sense. What I want you to see here in the latter part of Mark chapter 16, what I want you to see here is this editor who has in his mind to summarize, if you will, the entire gospel, goes all the way back to the latter part of 2018 when we began looking at the gospel of Mark. If you remember, one of the themes that I told you about the gospel of Mark is what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? I mean, doesn't, doesn't it all boil down to that? We've been told several times by several different authors that 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 is the key. Whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do you do with this man from Nazareth, Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the Son of God, who we understand now is the very essence of God, right? He is God himself. He is God in the flesh. So what do you do with Jesus? Authors will tell us you have three options. You can say he's a Lord. That's a good option. You can say he's a liar. Or you can say he's just crazy. Those are your options. But you have to do something. Even, even in the Gospel of Mark, we have all of these miracles. And if, you, if you've been reading with us for the last four months, you understand as Mark sets out the evidence for Jesus, it's almost like you, 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 you have this momentum moving toward Jerusalem. You have this momentum moving toward the cross. And it's not just the crucifixion, but it's also the resurrection. I was listening to Philip as he's giving the communion meditation, and I thought, what do I have to say? We've already had church. Because I was thinking the same thing. I want to continue to ask this question of, so what? I mean, do we really believe what we proclaim to believe? Last week we gathered, there were uh, several more here last week than there are today, and I know some of us are out because we're ill, or some of us are traveling, or... But, but I'm with you, there's a lot of people, Philip, who have returned to the real world. At least in their mind, it's the real world, right? Easter is over, therefore we're back to whatever it is we do. But what do we do with, what do we do with the resurrection? What do we do with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? I was also reminded that oftentimes we, we look at this, right, when we take communion and we celebrate, we celebrate the crucifixion that it's our sin hanging there on the cross, but it's also this, this large rock, this tomb that's rolled away, and Jesus, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he's victorious over death. And if we make him the Lord and Savior of our lives, he offers that, us that same victory over death. We sing about joy, but we don't have a whole lot of joy. We celebrate on, on days that... We get excited about Jesus, i.e. Easter last Sunday, but when we return, even we're prone to go back into this old, same old, same old, right? Real life occurs. We were talking this morning in our Bible study about pain and suffering and struggle, and the psalmist, or Habakkuk in our case this morning, was crying out to God and asking, how long, O Lord? Some of our people that have been on the prayer list have been on our prayer list for quite some time. 
And they've been praying that something would be resolved for quite some time. And when it feels like that God is nowhere to be heard, or at least He doesn't care, maybe that's the case, maybe He doesn't care, when Satan throws all this thing at you, right, and says, if He's not for you, that's what He did with Adam and Eve. That's exactly what He did with Adam and Eve. You will be like God. He doesn't really care. And all, all hope was lost, all despair was lost when they were cast out of the garden. I think about these people like Mary Magdalene who, who go as we, led, as we read last week and, and she finds the tomb that's rolled away and instead of believing that Jesus was resurrected just as He told her, she thinks they've taken the body. Remember that? Because it's just too good to be true. Or the guys who were on their way to Emmaus, they don't recognize Jesus. Why don't they recognize Jesus? Not until He breaks the bread. They don't recognize Jesus. Why not? Why not? If, if they really believed, if they really believed what they proclaimed to believe for three and a half years, why wouldn't they understand this was Jesus? Even the 11 disciples who got to see Him feed 5,000, 4,000, heal those who were blind, take somebody who was sitting at the pool every day who couldn't walk and do something without the pool. I mean, He changed everything. And these people, because He had been crucified in Jerusalem, had lost all hope. They had lost all hope. I want you to think with me for a second back to the Old Testament. You know your Bible history. The Israelites had lost all hope. In 722 B.C., the people of Israel were deported to a place called Assyria by a pagan nation. And the reason they're deported, the Bible tells us, is because of idolatry. They've chosen to worship other gods. And God has had enough of it, and He says, enough is enough. And so you find yourself in a foreign land, surrounded by foreign things. You don't know the culture. You're an alien. You're, you're, you're misplaced. All because of your bad choices. All because of you've chosen to worship other gods, i.e., a piece of stone, or a, a block of wood, or these gods that you've, I've used God's little g, these gods that you've heard about. Or in 586, the same thing happens to your sister nation called Judah. You would think they would have it figured out, right? They would learn something from what happens to Israel, but they don't. And they go down the same path. They begin to worship these other gods, and God has had enough. And so He uses a place called Babylon to take them off into captivity. And the longer you live in captivity, the more discouraged you get. Right? The more in despair you get. And we need victories every once in a while, don't we? I mean, despair is just the absence of hope. Many of us live in despair. Many of us live in the absence of hope. And you think about your Israelite ancestors, and you think when they're in Babylon or when they're in Assyria, Surely they've lost hope. And then God uses this king, Cyrus, to sign the decree and say, enough is enough. It's been 70 years that my people have been displaced, and I remember my promise, and guess what? This foreign king who has no idea what he's doing, ha, 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 signs the edict, and the Israelites get to return home. And hope is restored. Isn't that amazing? I mean, without belief, what do we have? When we proclaim this every week, Philip, when we go through this every week, 
I know not all churches do that. But when we, when we talk about recognizing what Jesus did, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, He became sin for us, but He didn't hang on the cross just to hang on the cross. He hung on the cross to pay our penalty for sin, and also resurrected, became victorious, so that we can understand the hope, the belief that we have, not just for today, but for tomorrow, for next week, for the next tragedy that happens in our life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's what people need to hear. And yet we're like these same people in Mark chapter 16 who have even spent time rubbing elbows with Jesus. He's told them over and over and over again, Bonnie, that they would go to Jerusalem. And the reason for going to Jerusalem was to go to the cross. We look back on them and say, how come, how come they couldn't get it? And we live the same kind of, of ways. My question to you is, what do you believe? See, we think of belief as being something here and it happens one time. It's something that happens between our ears. I believe, therefore God must save me. That's not what Jews understood about belief. Jews understood belief about putting one foot in front of the other. In other words, if you're a Jew and you really believe that the Messiah is going to come, the real Messiah is going to come, it would change everything. In other words, commitment was raised several different layers. And yet we believe, we believe in just something here, just a one-time thing. I want you to understand belief is something that happens again and again and again and again. You've all gone through crisis of belief. You've all been through these times of tragedy. Some of you are going through crisis right now with your family. Maybe it's with friends. Maybe it's with co-workers. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. We all experience these crises of belief, and somehow, some way, if we don't answer the question of do we really believe? What do we proclaim when we take this little cracker and we say the broken body of Christ given for you? What do we declare when we take this little cup of juice and we say the blood of Christ shed for you? You know my answer? Is we declare hope. Not hope in who I am. Not hope in who you are. But hope in the risen Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we understand that, that takes the the bitterness, the harshness, the pain, the suffering, that takes a little bit of the edge off of those things. Because we understand they're all temporary. Do you really believe? Do you really believe? Our flesh struggles. I've got a friend that's going through that you've been praying for for quite some time. His name is Tony Brewer. Back from MD Anderson. He gets to preach this morning, but he's back from MD Anderson again this week. And they found out that the immunotherapy that he was doing for cancer was no longer working, so they had to change the, the chemotherapy plans. But they also found out there was cancer now in his sternum, there's cancer in vertebrae, there's cancer everywhere. He's eaten up with cancer. And it makes you think, why wouldn't God do something about that? Why would We've been praying for quite some time. My, my father-in-law, four and a half years, dealt with cancer. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed, and prayed. And he made the transition just a few weeks ago, and now he's with Jesus. But why wouldn't God just heal his body? In other words, the suffering's always going to occur. Tragedy's always going to occur. People are always going to be on the, the prayer list. Jesus would say, the poor you will always have. There's always going to be a struggle. 
But the question is, do we really believe despite the struggle? Do we really believe that when Jesus calls us out of the boat, you guys remember Peter? Do you really believe when Jesus calls you out of the boat that you should be able to walk on water? Peter didn't believe it. What do you believe? It's easy to say, well, I believe everything we say we believe. It's easy to do that here. It's easy to do that in a safe place. But I'm talking about out there. I'm talking about when a doctor comes in and says, you have multiple myeloma. I'm talking about somebody in a white coat saying things aren't right. Now, what do you believe? Do you really believe that Jesus has overcome all these things? Do you really believe that he may not heal you here, but he will heal you? You'll be completely restored. Do you really believe that? That's when the rubber meets the road. That's the gospel. Now, what do you do with it? Well, the writer here in Mark chapter 16, he tells us what Jesus wants us to do with it. If it really changes your life, listen to what he says. This might make you remember Matthew chapter 28. So he says to them, if you really believe this, if you really believe that Jesus has overcome, that he's victorious over death, now what I want you to do is say, go into all the world and tell them this same hope that's been restored to you. People that were going to Emmaus, and Jesus breaks the bread. Remember what it says? Their hearts were burning within them. Did you recognize when he was with us and he was, he was spending time with us, although we couldn't understand who he was, our, our hearts were burning within us. Surely it was Jesus Christ who is now raised. Can you imagine their hope that's been restored? Or Mary Magdalene who finally understands this guy who has exercised demons from me, and, and, and he changed my entire life, she's got to be the best missionary in the world. I, I think about my own story. I think about my own struggles with sin. I don't know why God loves me the way he does. I don't, I don't know why God would offer salvation to me. I don't know why God would be merciful to me. I don't know why God would offer grace to me. But I know that he does. And, and when I receive that grace, when I receive that mercy, there's nothing I can do, but I, other than receive it. When I receive that grace, when I receive the mercy, when I understand that Jesus Christ had me in mind when He's hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. When I receive this piece of bread, when I receive this cup of juice, when I remember the responsibility I have to be a follower of Jesus Christ on the journey that He calls me to, it should change the rest of my life from that point on. As Paul would say, it's no longer I who live it's Christ who lives in me. Or when you're in your baptistry, you, you hear, buried with Christ in baptism, risen to walk in a newness of life. We're having a missions meeting here in just a few minutes, and I think, you know what missions is? Missions is you and me. It's not just over there somewhere. It's you and me. You're a missionary to your neighbors. You're a missionary to your family. You're a missionary to your coworkers. You're a missionary to people that you like. You're a missionary to people that you don't like. That's the gospel. You're a missionary when it's convenient. You're a missionary when it's inconvenient. You're a missionary whether you want to be or not. If you've met Jesus Christ, you are a now a missionary. It's not just about writing checks. Those, those are important. But God expects you to do something with the hope that you've been given through Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. It changes, it changes your entire world. Go into all the world. Proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany. Now notice these signs. 
It talks about everything that's supernatural. In my name they will cast out demons. That's supernatural. They will speak in new tongues. That's supernatural. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. That happened in Acts chapter 28. Check me out on that. Paul was bitten by a snake and he didn't die. Why? All because of God. All because of the Gospel. And yet we live in such a fearful time, church. We wring our hands and we say, well, obviously I shouldn't do that because there's some fear involved. There's some danger involved. No. God calls us to dangerous places. And wherever we go, we go with the Holy Spirit and that changes everything. So Jesus Christ gives us the same commission that we read about here in Mark chapter 16. So here's my question to you. Now what? We've celebrated Easter. Will we wait until 2020 to celebrate Easter once again? I hope not. I hope you're celebrating Easter today. I hope you're celebrating Easter tomorrow. I hope you're celebrating Easter every day of your life, no matter what, what happens, no matter what occurs. Let me, let me share a couple of things with you, a couple of verses as I close this morning. First of all, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is telling the church in Corinth about divisions. This, this church in Corinth is a messed up group of individuals, and there's all kind of disunity going on, there's all kinds of fighting going on, and Paul talks about the cross, and I want to read a couple of verses here for you, and especially as we reflect on the Gospel of Mark. Listen to what Paul says, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly, it's silliness to those who are perishing. That's those people outside these walls. Maybe somebody even here today. But the word of the cross, all this stuff we're talking about, all this stuff we proclaim, all the stuff we say we believe, it's silliness to people who don't believe, who are pagans. But to us who are being saved, it is the power, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I was reading or listening to a podcast this past week, and you know what the new battle is going to be about? It's about science versus religion. We, we, if you don't know it, church, we are in what's called a post-Christian society now. If you look at your cousins across the pond in Europe, you understand there's big cathedrals and, and it's built for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And at times there were hundreds and hundreds of people coming every week. And I remember in 1989 going to a Christmas Eve service. You would think there would be a ton of people, right? A Christmas Eve service. And there was 12 people in this large cathedral. And that wasn't just an anomaly. That's, that's pretty much common in Europe today. And you know what? I was telling the leadership yesterday. We met, uh, the elders and I met yesterday. And by 2050, church historians will tell us, now let me just define something for you for a second. Churches in, in this particular study are defined as large churches, mega churches, or any church that meets in a house. So it's across the board. Little churches, big churches. But church historians tell us by the year 2050, there will be 553,000, and half a million, 553,000 churches will close their doors by 2050. We are in a post-Christian society. So your neighbors, instead of putting a track in their hands and telling them about Jesus, they already know about the name Jesus, they just don't know Jesus. Maybe they're atheist. Maybe they're agnostic. 
Maybe they're not really religious at all. You know how many people tell me they're spiritual, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus? That's kind of the new catchphrase. So I'm saying all this to say this. This new battle we're in is about, self, is about Christianity versus science. What kind of proof can you give that Jesus rose from the dead? There's so much evidence. There's so much, and if you haven't studied the evidence, please, please, please consider doing so. Why do you believe what you believe? Because your, your faith will be challenged. Your faith will be challenged, not just, not just in 2019, but in 2025, in 2030, in 2050, when there are churches all around you that are closing. You have a choice to make. Decide whether you will be gathering in a place like this, whether you'll be celebrating what Jesus Christ did to overcome death, whether you will receive Jesus Christ not just as somebody who you can slide into heaven one day, but He's the Lord, He's your actual Master, He's the one who leads you on the path where you need to go. Church, times are a-changing. And if we're not ready for the change, if we're not going to put our heels in the sand and be the ecclesia, be the called-out church, then we're kidding ourselves. And we're just going to be a statistic. Do you believe? And if you believe, as I said, Jews never thought of belief being here, and they never, believed, they never thought it was one time. You believe in here instead of here? Now you prove your belief by going, by telling people what Jesus has done for you, by telling people what Jesus could do for them. And it's not enough to think it's about the preacher's job or an elder's job or a missionary's job. It's your job. That's what you've been tasked to do as a follower of Jesus Christ.